0: but I had to turn on a very large, and I think I probably six years at one point. And I was—I I had an extremely
1: expensive wife, uh, extremely expensive children.
2: I mean, she bought a Jaguar. You know, we had a five-bedroom, three-bathroom house on ten acres of land, and she would see a new car that she liked looks up and just pull off and buy it. And under California law, I was legally bound by her debts. And uh, I just wrote like mad. And the only way I could write that much, I mean, I did 60 finished pages a day, Mm -hmm. was to take amphetamines. And these were prescribed for me.
0: Hey, dickheads, like a pink laser beam of truth, beaming from straight inside an alien gelatinous mold (laughs) to your brain holes. We are your personal dickheads. Um, no, we are not actually covered by a friend from Frolics 8, but we are covering that book today, Philip K. Dick's 26th published novel, We Are Here at the 70s, so, uh, Anthony Mm -hmm. promised us some bell-bottoms and a paisley shirt, I see neither, uh, but Anthony- I I
2: did not, I did not sign that check, so, (laughs) no, I did not, didn't. So, uh, well, oh, you wrote it, but
1: you didn't sign it. So,
2: I did not write it. I never wrote it, never wrote it, didn't sign but it, didn't you write definitely
1: it. Definitely don't have the, I mean, he did say he definitely doesn't have the paisley shirt.
2: I have a lot of paisley shirts, <laughs> I have no bell bottoms. Well, um, welcome, dickheads, to the
0: 1970s. Um, <laughs> we uh, are, it's amazing we are here, but, uh, This book might feel like it was written in 1964, if you know your Philip K. Dick stuff, but it is 1970, and we'll get to that book. Or the 1800s, whatever, whichever (laughs) one. You're just talking about the sexual politics, but we'll get there. So, um, anywho, we are your dickheads. I mean,
2: Larry was trying to watch TV, okay?
0: (laughs) Uh, I am uh, David Agronoff, I am author of Goddamn Killing Machines, Punk Rock Ghost Story, and I also do another podcast called Postcards from a Dying World. Anthony, tell the folks who you
2: are. Oh yeah, so I'm Anthony Trevino, I'm also a writer and sometimes film critic for a bunch of various publications. Uh, you can find my new book, Hissers 3, co-written with Ryan C. Thomas, coming out hopefully next month.
0: Woo-hoo. awesome Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, And even though Anthony is is not super proud of it, I like his November space void. So I'm going to push that out there.
2: I'm going to shuffle off into my embarrassment cave now, but thanks, David. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, we have another dickhead um, here for your enjoyment. Tell him who you are.
1: I'm Langhorn J. Tweed.
0: Yes, that's... uh, A.K.A. Larry Langhorn J. Tweed. All right. So we're going to start off, like we always do, with the PKD news, of course. If you are a dickhead of um, well-to-do means, um, meaning that you can drop $900 on something fun or $850, the first bit of... Oh, yeah.
2: I saw this the other day.
0: Yeah. I almost bought it. <laughs> the first bit of uh, Phil K. Dick news is... That um, was it. F- uh, fully, f- uh, I'm screwing it up already. Get folio it out. Society is it? Um, folio Society. Is it's the- Folio. Folio. Folio.
2: It's not. It's not the De Folio Society. <laughs> they are publishing
0: these really fancy pants, like super interesting, multi bright colored editions of. All of Phil K. Dick's short stories, every single one of them, that the estate has, it's 118 short stories um, in one collection for 845 smackaroons. So um, I personally think that is way too much money for a bunch of short stories. But um, some people... Didn't they recently do uh, one of the books in like a
1: a $500 version that was... With some extra pictures and stuff like that, like a lot of this, these dick books are coming out in these really special editions. I think it's really cool, but I would love to own this.
2: But yeah, did you guys see the 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 Scanner Darkly hardcover release? Yeah, that's the one. That's the one I'm talking about. That's the one we were. Yeah, it looks. It's yeah, but it's also
1: five hundred dollars.
2: So it just anyone watching YouTube video. I'm just giving you the. It's a it's great chef's kiss sign. I'm not throwing up any, it's not a white supremacist thing. Everybody, fucking pack your kids away. Calm down. Calm down.
0: Um, yeah, so uh, this also has 24 illustrations, apparently, but I think for $900, the illustrator should come to Seven, your house and actually draw a picture. Oh, 745.
2: I just looked at it again. It's
0: 745.
2: 745. That's, hey, hey Look, our dickheads art for the podcast costs more than that thing, so. Yeah. And it is stellar. Yeah. But it, that's what happens when you hire a renowned, uh, oftentimes dark horse artist, Mike
0: Dubish. So, Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Mike. Um, but this, this edition it is stunning looking. It, is, it would look really cool on the shelf. Um, but I think if you spent that much money on a book, like, would you feel comfortable like sitting down and reading it? I don't, I don't know, but I would,
2: yeah, that feels like a weird flex showpiece, but I don't, yeah, but I,
1: I, yeah. I'm not the ta- I've never been the type of person to buy something and keep it in the box. You know, the, you buy some toy you don't want to actually play with or a comic book you don't actually want to read. You just leave it in, in its little sheath forever. Yeah. Without touching yeah, it. I've like never that. been like that. I would definitely read those stories in that book. Yeah, and I would dog ear the pages. That's right, people, dog ear. <laughs> uh,
0: well, you know, I'm trying to think. Do I keep things in packages? I did have a Rambo action figure that I kept in um, in a package for a long time because I was in. I was I was trying to track down David Morrell to sign my Rambo action figure case, and then um, and I saw him at a couple conventions, but before I had the figure, so. Anyways, right. but uh, no, I I have my, um, my short story collection editions are just fine, I'm, and I can dog-ear and highlight yeah, them. Yeah, I'm fine
2: with mine. Yeah, so... Yeah, I write in mine, so sorry whoever gets them once I shuffle off this mortal <laughs> coil. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, mine are uh, very heavily um, um, highlighted, but... Um, Anyways, that's the uh, first news item. The second news item is that the judges for next year's Phil K. Dick Awards have been chosen. Um, two, The only two names that were familiar to me are Molly Tanzer and Alan Steele, uh, who I've read one of his novels before. But we'll, uh, we'll have the full list in the show notes. Yeah, um, but... For note, for this show, um, Molly is an old friend, and um, she's going to come on the podcast before and after her experience of uh, being a judge for the award. I'm going to be interviewing her next week for the podcast. And cool. All right. So um, our friends from Frolics 8 came out in 1970.
2: David, with a whole lot of love. Brown. What, 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 was, what
1: was happening in 1970?
0: Well, I'm glad you asked, Langhorn. 1970 was when the voting age was lowered from 21 to 18.
1: It's uh, hard to believe, right, that, that, that it was that recent?
0: Right. And as a matter of fact, I was just listening to uh, Rod Serling lecture from UCLA from 1971, which was amazing, by the way, and you should go look for it on YouTube. Um, his diss on uh, John Wayne on there is worth the entire listen. <laughs> um <laughs> But, uh, you know, and he talked a lot about this, you know, young people in Vietnam and the, the idea that, yeah. you know, if you're old enough to go to war, you should be old enough to vote. Uh, Soyuz 9 orbited the Earth for 18 days um, That uh, during the – and by the way, I looked into the month that this came out, June 1970. These, all, all these things happened in June 1970. Cool. Um, and uh, Led Zeppelin did their last tour of Europe. And, yep. and A I whole realized. lot of love. Yeah. yeah. So um, I wonder if uh, John Bonham was reading uh, Our Friends <laughs> <laughs> from Prolix <laughs> 8 Fresh Out of the Gate from Ace Books um, in 1970. Um, this is Philip K. Dick's triumf- Triumphant Return to the Wolhine Camp. Um, Triumphant is a word (laughs) But um, (laughs) That's one way to put it And look It's very clear that he wrote this book To like It's very clear he wrote this book Yep. (laughs) Oh boy is it To be put on the shelf Every other sentence
2: Divorceopedia all
0: day But look I really feel that he was kind of writing Cephalic Let's remember Early in PKD's career, he said, and we quoted him on this in the podcast one time, that he was writing many of his early books for an audience of one, Mr. Don Wolheim. Right. I have sure. a feeling reading this book, he wrote this book to make Don Wolheim happy in some weird way, because there's a lot of this book hits a lot of notes. Some Wolheimisms. The Wol. Wolheimian um, uh, satisfaction. So, um, because, and and look, if you look at the last two books that we, or the last couple books that we read, you know, especially with like Do Androids Dream and like, you know, he was was doing a little bit of like kind of higher grade type sci-fi. And we know he wrote this right after uh, Maze of Death, which we're going to read next, which is, I think, a little bit, it's not so Wolhimean, but what's funny is Ace seemed to try and push this book out one month before Maze of Death. So it was like they were racing to beat it. But anyways, this book was received at the SMLA, the Scott Meredith Literary Agency on June 11th, 1968. So, -hmm. and it was, they got it right after uh, Maze of Death. And the next book that he wrote after our friends from Frolic State is Flow My Tears, The Policeman Said. So um, this is kind of a weird anomaly coming between Maze of Death and Flow My Tears, where it's kind of like. There was a big gap in there then. Yes. He wrote wrote Policeman in 1970, right? The year this came Mm -hmm. out. Um, well, there was a big gap. And if you look in Divine Invasions, there like was him, a-, a big gap is like six months of not writing an entire novel. But yeah, <laughs> you did more was- than six months, because a lot of the events that <laughs> inspired um, Scanner Darkly, like he had dur- it during if we consult Divorcepedia, which, I don't remember which divorce he was going through, but. The one that he was going through in this period, before he wrote Flow of My Tears, he went through a huge trial where he was doing lots of drugs and not writing. Dancer um, so Hackett. To- yeah. Anyways, um, so this was after Mids of Death, before Flow of My Tears. So I think this was the last book he wrote before the long stretch of, of really sad. Um, PKD meets lots of druggies coming over. Meets oh, okay. like I I got to get out of here and go to Orange County, um, to get away from from all that stuff. Um, and this this whole novel started as they were in the process of kind of trying to finalize the deal for Maze of Death with Doubleday, and um, and remember when we talked to Betsy Wolheim, she talked about how she really her her dad only actually met. Phil a couple times in person. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure she talked about this convention, which is Bacon, when Doug Wolheim came out to San Francisco in 1968, in August of 1968. And at that convention, uh Wolheim and Deck hung out and they and Wolheim probably maybe had a few and said, Yeah, sure, Phil, write me another book or I'd like to have you back. And I'm sure he did, because at this point, Phil's a Hugo winner and he never had quite the sales, but he was published. He did publish a couple with Doubleday with Do Androids Dream and he had Maze of Death coming out. So I'm sure Wolheim wanted another book from him. And uh, so at this point, um, you know, when Phil got back, he wrote a letter to SMLA that says, Dear Scott,
2: I just now received a very nice letter from Don Wolheim, in which he picks up where he and I left off at the convention. At that time, I told Don I wanted to do another novel for Ace, and in his letter he asks if I meant that, and I and still mean it. He says, I would like to see you keep on with us. Even though Report has it, you've made pots of money with Doubleday. I don't know about pots of money, but I think we can come to some reasonable accommodation financially if given a reasonable chance. I have no new novel in the works, however, because I have been working on a maze with Death. Is it a maze with death or is it a maze of death? Have I been thinking it's called wrong? It's a maze of death, I'm pretty sure. Maze of death. But, it occur- uh, but it occurs to me that if Larry Ashmead doesn't want it, maybe Don might. I'm writing Don and I'm mentoring a maze with death. Could we try him if Doubleday turns the novel down? By the way, Don wants my material presented directly to him and not through Terry Carr. He says this is for me and would be published under my editorship. Because of Don's interest, I will start as soon as possible on another new novel. But it'll take a while. Would he buy an outline and a sample chapter? Or does he want the whole thing? <laughs> Alright, so this
0: this is part of one of the reasons why I had this theory that he was writing it specifically for Don. Don wanted didn't want it going through Terry Carr who we remember did Kraken Space and did a couple of the Ace books for I, I think until our teleported man too. Um, so, so this, when I say that this was written for Don, I think that's the proof, you know? Uh, it, and also just because it, it feels like a book from, from that era. So, um, and here's where we get into some funny, like um, the dog ate my homework kind of things, because apparently Phil was late turning in our friends from frolics eight so we have the letter, the um, the Dog Ate My Homework letter to Don Wolheim.
2: All right, well, here we go. Uh, Dear Don, I have been stewing and fretting about completing the final copy of Our Friends. First, when I began typing the final version, I discovered that I had to change some of the material. Then I came down with Hong Kong flu. <laughs> oh, you can't believe you made me read that. With con- <laughs> with. Con- With complications, and as the coup de grace, my Olympia typewriter broke down and had to go to the shop for repairs. Typing 80,000 words on this damn loner thing is next to impossible. It's a 1941 royal. I have to have my own machine, and when I get it back, I'll resume the typing of the final draft, which I had gotten well into before the troubles began. I am very sorry, and I know the novel is overdue, but the revisions have been made. PKD, June 6th, 1969. Hong Kong flu, huh?
0: yeah nice. he got
2: yeah uh Oof.
0: yeah the Hong Kong flu and uh the typewriter broke uh so I can't finish it because there's no way I'm typing this up on a 1981 ro- or 1941
2: royal. Uh, uh, that's actually kind of like it uh an art like um an artist thing that I almost understand is being like mm, I really can't sit down and do this at this new one. It's, like, totally unreasonable and stupid, but I get it.
0: Um, but, yeah, so if his typewriter wasn't working, I could see why that would delay him, but this letter is hilarious because it is really just, like, you know, you know, I like the coup de grace is that my typewriter broke. I mean, the, getting the flu real bad wasn't what did it, I guess. And uh, Anthony, did you want to read the situation?
2: Yeah, so the Sitch is within the last century, two new types of human beings have arisen as sport mutations desired and preserved until by 2085, they fill the top levels of business organizations. And in the planet wide federal government, all persons who pass the civil service tests must be either a new man or an unusual. And so, if I'm getting this straight, the new men. Are highly intellectual beings that have big giant domes from like that from that short story dick really likes right and then the and then the unusuals are telepaths
0: yeah okay the double domes which is you know all right so um he turned in the outline uh and 40 pages of manuscript first and i think before he finished it um and Don, like, kind of signed off on the outline, then, then he went and finished it, and then he got the flu, and his typewriter broke. So, um, you know, and I, I imagine definitely at that time, um, a, a writer and their typewriter were a, a very symbiotic relationship, and and and, and I get that. All right, so that's it for the writing and publication history. It came, well, one last thing is that it did come out. Maze of Death came out in July 1970, and uh, Frolics came out in June 1970. So that's back to back books for PKD is pretty cool. Um, and of course, uh, Maze of Death was a bigger deal, being with Double Day and I think a hardcover. Uh, but Frolics Eight did get a science fiction book club edition in 1971, and hmm. so it did see hardcover. So um, it was popular enough to get that. And uh, okay, so I think. Oh um, yeah. Well, I'm kind of nervous oh. for this. I don't know I'm if he's going to. It. Okay, the first time with the real story. mic story. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: <laughs> Story
0: Floop.
2: breakdown Loop breakdown <laughs> Alright, Langhorn,
0: Break it down for us While I Great. go to the bathroom and grip my water bottle Of course uh, I'll be here uh, Here's the book In all its glory
1: Oh, you got the good cover Our friend from Frolics8 Frolics All right, so we we start with Nick Appleton and his son, Bobby, going to take a test. Uh, Bobby's got to take a test to see if he's smart enough to join the government. And uh, so our main guy here, Nick, is really nervous. So, you know, as you do, you pop over to the drug bar. You just grab some amphetamines and some other shit and toss it down with with your drug bartender, whatever. Like, some dude just... Mix in your drugs for you, which is awesome. And I wish that was a real thing. And then so Bobby's going to take his test. Bobby is like, oh, I'm going to fail. And Nick's like, you can't fail. Our lives depend on it. Our sad, pathetic little lives depend on you passing this test. And then we cut to some some of the egghead new men that are in charge of the test. And they're like, he's not going to pass the test because we won't let him. Ha, 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 ha. And then, so we find out that the new men are these, uh, they have this extra lobe in their brain or extra part of their brain that regular people don't have makes them super smart and have a totally different form of logic they can use and makes them better. At least that's the idea is that the new men are just better than regular people, which are now called old men. And, uh, the the other people are the u- unusuals which are your your basic pkd psychics you know your your mind readers your telekinesis people the blah 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 precogs. all that all that crap precogs all that uh so our our guy goes home his wife is uh talking to some dude who turns out to be a guy that they're they're testing to see if if uh, they're going to if they're traitors to the government, which the traitors to the government who are regular people called old men are in a group that are called the undermen. So we have old men who are undermen, and new men and unusuals. So those are all the people that are involved. Well, then there's also Frolic's eight aliens, but then that's that's something else. All right. So we find out that speaking of aliens, Thor's Provoni, who is like this revolutionary, uh, stole, stole a, a space plane and went out, rocketed out into space to go find alien help to over, overthrow the new men and the unusuals and bring the power back to the Undermen or the old men.
0: He might be my favorite PKD character in a long time.
1: Who? Uh,
0: of Thor- Pravoni? Provoni. Which is a great PKD name, by the way.
1: Yeah, right. So, all right. So then there's this whole story about uh, this guy, Corbin, who's a, or Corden, who's, Provoni's like right-hand man and sort of an intellectual who does all this writing. And they, they, the Undermen make pamphlets of his writings and pass them out in sort of like underground circles to... You know, keep the revolution going while Provoni's out finding us alien help for all us regular people. So that's the idea. And then we meet the the bad guys, the super villains. So we have Barnes, who's in charge of the cops, and he's a new man dick. Uh, and then we have our main bad guy, Willis Graham, who, in my opinion, is like a. Uh, uh, what is his name? Lord Harkonnen mixed with uh, mixed with uh, what's his face from Big Trouble in Little China, the um, low pan. He's like low pan, Lopan and, and uh, Lord Harkonnen mixed together. And he's, he's just a disgusting guy. He, he's got a bedroom office. He's so he's kind of in a, in a way he's a little bit like a uh, Brian Wilson And uh, I guess uh, also Florence Nightingale, who stayed in bed for 10 years. Uh, But so he's got he doesn't even leave his room ever. He just sits in his room. He's catered to. He makes all the decisions. He's an unusual so he can read people's minds. And Barnes is his main guy. And then he's also got this sexless super cop that's supposed to be watching his wife. But that that sort of drifts away. Mostly. Except for the lawyer. Never
2: comes back to do a bunch of cool super cop stuff, missed but yeah,
1: yeah, that character sort of just disappears. Uh, so
2: th- then they're talking
1: and he's, he's like, oh, I got, you know, we need to stop this whole Provoni, Corden, or yeah, Corden shit from going on. So I've got this plan, this master plan where we'll kill my, my wife who's divorcing me and we'll kill Corden and boom, everything's fine. Nobody even knows if Provoni's alive. So, hey, there goes the insurrection. We're all in charge. We can put more undermen into these uh concentration camps on the moon and in Utah for some reason. Uh, the moon and Utah. That's the
2: concentration camp areas. Uh so, so I mean, that, then that, Utah, that, one yeah. of those sounds worse than the other. And <laughs> let me tell you, I'd rather go to the moon. <laughs> Right, uh. So, all right, back to our our
1: guy Nick. Nick is go. He goes to work. They they kill Corden. He's like, oh my god, I can't believe they killed that dude. His boss is like, oh my god, I can't believe they killed that dude. Like seriously, takes it real serious. And so, uh, our our guy Nick is like, what? So what's are you like one of those spy guys, those Underman weirdos? And and his boss, whose name is Zeta. Earl Zeta is like, you know, kid. I am one of those guys. Let's go have a beer because beer is one of those dudes. (laughs) Beer, alcohol is illegal, and it's great. It's a great flip where all drugs, all pharmaceuticals are legal, and you can get them at your at your whim. You can just go and get some meth or coke or whatever you want. So, downers, uppers, it's all up to you. But when it comes to alcohol, that shit's wrong. Wrong with a capital R. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh,
0: Wait a second. Nick's,
1: <laughs> Nick says, uh, well, I don't know if I could drink alcohol, but he does. And then then dude's like, let's go get you a pamphlet so you can be an underman. And, and Nick's like, oh, I'm, sure, I'm down. I'm down to ruin my entire life on a whim. Let's do it. So they go to this house and they meet uh, Denny, who's this psycho, psycho dude. Uh, and they meet Charlotte, who is a 16 year old uh, girl Boy, here we go. Nick falls immediately in love with, like love at first sight. Oh, my God, I'm 35. She's 16 to match made in heaven. Just how could it get any better than that? The only problem is she has this boyfriend, Denny, who's kind of a dick, right? And turns out to be an alcoholic and a raging alcoholic, like raging in the actual sense of raging where he, he tries to beat her up and she bites him. And then, then uh, Zeta pins Denny down and, and they escape. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And then, so our guy escapes with his new crush and he's like, where do we go from here? Let's go to my house. And so they go to his house his wife finds out that he's now an underman and she gets pissed and she's like, Well, you brought this cute little girl into our house, and now she's leaving. You you have a choice now, leave with her or and leave me forever, or stay here and leave and not be with her ever. And dude's like, All right, so sorry, wife and kid. I'm out. I'm peace out. So he leaves and he goes and chases after his 16-year-old. Teenage queen. Uh, you're only sixteen. Anyway, so he he chases after, her and then the cops are after them. They go to this how this publishing place, and it gets broken into by the cops. Cops raid the place. They get arrested. Turns out that our gross uh, Willis Graham headmaster, whatever his name is, council chairman. Of the Extraordinary Committee for Public Safety, Willis Graham, has the hots for the 16-year-old as well, of course. Because who doesn't want a breastless 16-year-old to bed down and ruin? Uh, I mean, that makes perfect
2: sense. Uh, and he really does want to <laughs> did ruin. Did you really
0: need
2: to? I oh got did you use that word again? Ruin. Ruin. Oh. He even says
1: it. I mean, he has a whole conversation. There's
2: a there, yeah. He has a whole model, uh, inner monologue about it. it. It's
1: yeah. Foul. It's yeah. foul. It's awesomely foul. I right? have a
0: Kim Stanley foul. Robinson quote that's about this. <laughs> like, <laughs> nice. When we get there, right? Not right. specifically so, about that, but about personal life <laughs> in.
1: So they, uh, so they both get arrested, and uh, they both confront uh Graham, so Nick and, and Charlotte, Charlie, whatever you want to call her. They they both confront Graham at separate times. Uh Nick is let go and uh Charlie actually beats up some guards and escapes. She is being held by four strong guards, but somehow she she like hulks her way out of it. Even though she's a frail sixteen year old girl, she finds a way through sheer will and so then we go back to Denny's house Denny is there and he's like hey everything's cool now I'm no longer psychotic right on we're all friends but uh then some cops show up blah 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 they they tussle then Denny's like let's go to the roof and get my car my badass car that I call some kind of purple land whale or something and then he uh they get up to the roof. Denny gets shot in the face by one of the cops. Uh, Charlie and Nick escape. And then they go to hang out at some other dude's house. While Meanwhile, meanwhile, <laughs> Pavone, who is definitely still alive and not in great shape. He's sort of, you know, on the edge of a, On the edge of sanity, on the edge of uh, his his um, ability to survive, he's got very little water left. But he's got this cool alien friend who surrounds his ship and keeps him safe and tucks him in when he goes to sleep. And they they become he has this friendship with an alien from Frolics Eight, who is sort of a vanguard. He's the the he's not the leader of the the Frolics people, but he's the uh, what what do you call it? The the like uh, ambassador for the Frolics Eight uh, aliens, and if he goes and succeeds in doing what he has to do, then the rest of the Frolics Eight million year old aliens who can destroy us at 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 will.
0: Well, they destroyed everything. Have to, have to, they destroyed everything but them. They destroyed
1: everything. That's what they did on their planet.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, but. They could destroy us if they wanted to without any problem. And that I mean, is their
0: plan. If I can destroy you if I want to. I can get
1: if you. Morgo, Morgo, our alien, our frolic's alien, more Morgo does not succeed. They will come and they will destroy everyone. So that's the whole the whole deal. And then so the government's trying to stop Provoni from getting to Earth, and he keeps calling in, like, I'm getting closer. And they're like, oh shit, let's send some alien, let's send some missiles and stuff to stop him. I'm still getting closer. And then he's like, oh, shit, he's still getting closer. Let's do some more random bullshit. I'm getting closer. Uh, And he says, I'm going to land in like six hours. So be ready. Or 16 hours. Be ready. But he lands early in Times Square. Thank you, Anthony. That's important information. Uh, (laughs) So he lands early in Times Square. And they step up. Laser him. They try to laser his ass with a these giant with a giant laser, but Morgo. Oh my god! So Morgo says, "Oh yeah, that's cool. That's just giving me more power. I actually have the strength to do How what I have." About a laser to do. from
0: Kansas City.
1: <laughs> and so, what Morgo has to do is he has to end the threat to them. So this has nothing to do with saving the 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 humans for for morgo he doesn't really care about saving humanity he doesn't isn't for us or against us but he knows the new men have the ability to eventually be a threat to frolics eight people so he just goes and basically takes out that little uh, bit of their brain that makes them different just sort of you know just pop, you don't have that anymore turns them into dribbling idiots so the new men are now the kitties because they don't have any their their like brains are mush now. Their big brains are mush. And he also takes away the unusual's ability to do whatever their psychic stuff is. And uh Provoni is like, Yeah, all right. So this is what's happening. Now I'm gonna be in charge. And Graham's like, No, you're not, I'm still in charge. I'm the big man on campus. And then he, he decides, oh well, maybe I'm not the big man on campus. Meanwhile, there's a car chase where um, where Charlie just uh, gets her head split in half when they crash. At, this is after they have horrible sex in Times or in uh, uh, Central. What is it? Uh, central Park. Sex. They're in Central Park. That's where they have sex. They have really bad sex in Central Park. And uh, then they're trying to escape the cops and Charlie just like cleaved in half her head and Nick breaks his arm, but he's like, Hey, I got to go talk to the boss. And this cop's like, yeah, I don't care. Everything. You know, my bosses are all mush anyway, nowadays. So, so like whatever you want to do, I'm, I'm all for it, but I ain't going inside. So he goes and he talks to the boss, uh, talks to Graham and uh, they have it out a little bit, like this little conversation where all the, all the stuff is decided. And then then dude goes to see uh, uh, this other guy who doesn't really matter much, Amos Ild, who is a, supposed to be the smartest guy on Earth, but he's really just a psycho. But now that his brain has been taken out of him, he's sort of like a, a savant like sort of a
0: one of his prophetic, prophetic
2: Best character in the book.
0: <laughs> no, he's not better than Thor. Proveni.
2: Uh,
1: <laughs> well, we Pravone. can argue.
0: Proveni, Thor, Proveni, Proveni. Yeah.
1: All right. So th- then he talks to him, and then he goes gets his arm fixed, and uh, you know, sort of everything's going great for everybody. There's one thing left, though. There's this <laughs> lawyer who is uh, Graham's w- wife's divorce lawyer. He's not well-liked by Graham, but he thinks he's he's got it made, but he's also one of these new men. So he struts into the office like, hey, I got some stuff to talk about, so you better call your boy and I'll go in when I feel like it. And, and then uh, the secretary is like, yeah, he's not even here oh, well, I will wait for him and you can call him back here because I'm whatever my name is and I'm super cool divorce divorce lawyer guy. And then he picks up this statuette of, by the way, God is dead and floating in space. Just yeah, in case just wondering. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's just thrown in there. Oh, I got really, so much
2: to say about really this. Just I have so much to say there. about this. Sorry, Kim Stanley <laughs> Robinson. So.
1: And then... Uh, so he picks up this uh, statuette of God and he looks at it and he's like, "What is this? This is a like a statue. Oh, it's a statue!" And he loses his mind then. And the the uh, secretary takes care of him, like sits him down, asks him if he wants some coke. Not a coke, but some coke. Like that's, no. it's a it's an odd odd sort of thing to ask someone. So you're now brainless. Do you want some coke?
2: The answer right. is always yes, but go on. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> uh so then uh so yeah, that's the book. That's it. That's pretty much it.
2: Uh, by the way It ends with a sad P. It's just a sad trickle of P of an ending. Just <laughs>
0: Yeah, I like I like tell ending. you though, I do
1: know. I, I really know liked that last scene. Because That guy to, was a dick.
0: We have two immediate thoughts uh, after the story yeah. breakdown before we get real serious into it. One is there's a part of me that wishes the title was Thor and Morgo from Frolics 8. I kind of <laughs> wish that was the title.
2: I or think just... it's Thor's Provoni. I think there's an S that you're leaving out Thor's. on the end of that. Yeah, Thor's. Thor's... yeah it's Thor's well, Provoni.
0: And that's the other thing. Thor's Provoni is definitely the name of the calzone at my PKD-themed restaurant, if I ever open it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just
2: saying. Um, on this on this new cover, David, that you that you've renamed, is Thor's provoni like super jacked, and he's like flying the plane, but he's real ripped.
0: Yeah, he's like super muscular, like fly guy. No, but you could also call it uh, Thor's and Morgo save planet Earth or save the Earth or something. Right. Yeah, I think I almost think that would be a better title. Just because I think their names are hilarious, but. <laughs> This this book has some serious a has PKD names and the PKD job of the, the tire regroover. Um,
2: but I didn't find a single auto something. No yeah. auto, auto, no artiforgs, no uh there were, autovacs. I didn't find a there single There were precogs auto. and there's
0: like hilarious sure. the double dome guys had hilarious names. So there so there was that. You know, I, I kind of and there was no mention of con apps, which was super weird. There was not a single con app. No, anymore.
1: they were actually apartments.
0: Yeah. So it, it's weird because it, some of those things he could have done more of. But um, the first thing I want to talk about is the transhuman stuff. The test. We'll talk about that right there. Um, and the testing. And so I thought it was interesting, this idea that the testing became so important that um, – you know, society is basically like you know, there's a, a caste system between like the different types of humans and metahumans and transhumans. that are going on here, and you gotta get, get your psych test so you can prove which class you fit in. And yeah. um, and I think what he's trying to set up that when Thor's Proveni leaves in the gray dinosaur is Provoni Proveni. I think what he's trying to set up is that the earth is just this kind of fucked up place, you know, and Thor's goes out there to try and find somebody that can, or find a way to, to um, fix it or, or to find it or, or is what he was trying to do. But anyways, um, but what we do find out um, about this class structure And it's interesting because the cloud structure is hinted at, but the first time it's really explained is pretty deep into the book, which is 96 pages in, and it says, um, could you, of all the double-domed, super-evolved new men, have coped with the two two of them here on Earth working together? The answer is no, um, and they... He talks about how the friggin' rabble, all these old men and under men, and, you know, it's just weird because it's so deep into the book before he really kind of gets into an explanation of, like, you know, who and what they are. It's, what do you mean? Well,
1: okay. I, I felt like it was really upfront. I mean, the new men are smart, the unusuals are psychics, regular people are regular, the dum dums. Uh, yeah. The new men are trying to gain control of the government over the Unusuals, but the Unusuals actually have the highest office, so they're still oh, in wait, wait,
0: wait, wait. Yeah, power yeah, yeah. struggle there. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. all yeah. that all that is early in the book. All right, right. Okay, I did find it on page eighteen. Okay,
2: it's <laughs> <laughs> way different than page ninety six. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> Oops. Really came about at page two hundred and eighteen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> on page eighty-four, there is a scene where they first talk about the idea that Provoni is bringing an alien to um, to fight against the old, the old, or to fight against like the system
1: where is that, is that where we first meet Provoni is on on that page, or is that still?
0: No, I don't later think it's where we first meet him, but it says. Doesn't it seem to you to be a betrayal of the human race, old men, under men, new men, unusuals, everyone to bring a non-human life form, which we'll probably want to colonize here once it's destroyed us. So they kind of. Oh, Oh, is that Barnes? Yeah. Barnes says that. Yeah. And so he's like trying to argue that this structure, that they're all human. But I think what the book is trying to say throughout is that they become something other than human. By evolving in these different ways, so yeah, well, like,
1: I mean, there's a lot of parallels to uh, Nazi Germany, isn't there? Concentration camps, that this sort of uh, not Aryan but intellectual ideal of you know being better than everyone else.
0: Well, what I thought was kind of yeah, funny about this is with the transhuman part of this is that you have here is that. All these higher classes that of like meta humans, right? That like they 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 open the they say we're superior, so we built these concentration camps. But as soon as somebody's coming and threatening them, they, they're they, like, Wait, but we're all humans You're betraying <laughs> us. Yeah, right? Right. <laughs> they kind of want it both ways. Now, um, Kim Stanley Robinson um talked about this and um anthony it's the second ken stanley
2: robinson quote if you our friends from frolics eight is similar in structure and situation to the novels of 64 and 65 the narrative scheme is once again expanded to include six point of view characters it follows that the plot structure is therefore returned to the complexity of the earlier political novels the fictional world is dystopian a police state run by an elite of artificially evolved new men who are relegating the old men normal humans to concentration camps the cast of characters includes a tire groover and his mean wife an intense it, it, an intense and dangerous young woman that this little protagonist becomes involved with a despotic world leader as big protagonist a wise alien a single space traveler returning from deep space an evolved genius whose intelligence proves worthless whose intelligence proves worthless <laughs> um, in other words, all of the characters of the middle dystopias whom we have become so familiar with. At first glance, every element looks strikingly familiar if the novel were dated 64 or even 57. Uh, we would not be too surprised. The overthrow of the world police state at the end harkens back to the wish fulfillments of the 50s and the devolution of the Newman in the ambiguous role of the omnipotent alien remind us of the more cynical conclusions of the novels of 1964.
0: Yeah, that's a lot, but it's a really good quote about... about- you know, in my opinion, he, he 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 sums up the book really well there in total, but specifically with the transhuman stuff. Is there anything yeah. else uh, now, the tests turn out to be complete bullshit, anyways. Um, on 115 there's of uh, the Mariner Edition. Um, Nick Appleton says, "I became an underman when we got back the results of our son's civil service test." And when I saw how they managed to test him on the basis of questions he could never possibly know or understand, I realized when I I realized that all my years of trust in the government had been wasted. And I think a lot of this is PKD. PKD doesn't trust the government. He thinks he's I, I believe that he thought, you know, in many ways too, that he was, he was smarter than, than people were giving him credit for. And so I think some of these personal feelings are kind of coming out Nick Appleton in this, in, in this. Room. Sure.
1: Yeah. I, I, that's why I say it's, it's as purple as it is because of that, that kind of thing that's sort of thrown in there in this one that like the, the, the fact that he talks about being 35 and a, uh, and dating someone way younger so you can sap their, suck their youth out. Like if you, if you've never done that before, you don't, you wouldn't really see that, that sort of a, that sort of connection, that relationship. And I, I think the same is true about the government part, about the media as well. Like when he, he talks about how the newsmen are just like puppets of the government and all that stuff, he's, he's really voicing his own opinions a lot in this one
0: here's the thing Um, with the test and everything that's going on. I just really do believe that this, that he's really talking about like the fact that, um, you know, for example, like science fiction was always, he was always talking about how science fiction was looked down upon and, you know, his, desire to reach mainstream success which he never got and so i think a lot of this stuff with the undermen and like the class society stuff has to do with his feelings of inadequacy for not being able to move forward with these kind of mainstream literature books that he had and i may be reading way too much into it i, uh,
1: I, I mean i personally didn't didn't catch any of that but but i i mean I, yeah. yeah i can i can see how it could be interpreted that way i, I just I I see it as much more allegorical to, to, you know, Germany and all that. So,
0: yeah. And, and so with the personal life stuff, um, there's, uh, the first quote from Ken Stanley Robinson kind of deals with this. Uh, Anthony, can you read that?
2: At one point in our friends from frolics eight, he has one character say to another, you must untangle your public life from your private life. You've got them all mixed in together and he most certainly does. Private matters, ranging from minor things such as complaints about mean ex-wives or the lack of good Chinese food in Boise, Idaho, or the death of a favorite cat, <laughs> to more important matters such as the obsessive fa- fascination with intense young women, appear over and over. And that—that that is true. That is an ongoing. Those are all ongoing themes with yeah. a lot of Dick's work.
1: Although that—that that argument about the with the uh, with Thor's and on Morgo about the the yeah. cat and the dog. <laughs> That's hilarious because I have that argument all the time with people. It's so yeah. weird that cats and dogs uh, have that effect on people like that. The just the he gets so into his cat stuff and 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 Morgo's like I have, I prefer dogs, right? Yeah,
2: um, Morgo, same.
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> me too. But <laughs> we're all dog people here. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, it's just interesting that, you know, and and I don't want to belabor this point because we've talked a lot already about how his how his private life is bleeding into this book more. I mean, they all do like really. And I to a certain extent. uh, That's true. Some authors like are really good at hiding their lives.
1: And I, I think when especially the times he's going through a divorce, it, it really bleeds much more into his, into his writing.
0: But don't you think 26 novels in now that we can tell when it's happy Phil and when it's divorce Phil? I think we can. Yeah. Yeah. You can yeah. tell just by reading it. You don't have to, we don't have to look at divorce anymore. We really. really don't No, No, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean like, well, you might... know, well, I mean, you know, once he has that,
1: that scene with the, the defense lawyer or the, uh, the, the divorce, divorce lawyer, lawyer yeah, right at the beginning, and then he's like, "I have to kill my wife." <laughs> it's like, "Well," and then the other wife, who is absolutely not a bitch in any way, as far as
2: I'm concerned, like she's just sort of oh, there. She's fine. She's fine. She's but, done nothing. What's her name? Cleo, C L E O. Yeah, she's done nothing to warrant any of his bullshit, any of Nick Appleton's no. <laughs> bullshit. She doesn't do anything. She no, literally... And she literally even like accepts him after. <clears throat> He's, he's
1: pulled all this bullshit. She's like, "You can come back, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it for
2: you." And what does he do? He fucking smacks her in the face, and she's like, "For interrupting the TV it? broadcast." Yeah, dude, I can't. I can't sympathize with Nick Appleton at all. No, dude, I had to put,
1: I had to put the book down at that point because I just didn't want to read about Nick anymore.
2: Once he uh, smacked no, cause, his wife, because he's I was a worthless like, character. Yeah, Nick Appleton's a worthless character in this book. I would rather have had more of a focus on. Uh, Cleo and Bobby. Yeah, right. And we could jettison Nick Appleton's useless, <laughs> one dimensional, I'm trying to have sex with this 16 year old character, and just yeah. right out, right out the airlock. I don't care. Yeah. Do you, uh, so,
1: yeah. Did you uh, listen to our last episode? Did you catch the quote at the beginning from PKD? Mm-mm. It's a. Uh, he talks about how he he writes his main characters, his protagonists, as sort of. He calls it anti-heroes, who have uh, fundamental flaws in their in their character, and not okay. not caused by external forces, but they are just just fundamentally flawed.
0: I think I, I could be wrong about this too, and but with the Cleo character, and I tried to look up Cleo, but he had an X or there was a i think there was a woman that he had a relationship with who kind of it didn't go very far whose name was Cleo i think um oh, really yes yeah, so i think that there i think that name was chosen to be like a, intentionally yeah intentionally like that. and and i think as far as her being a positive character is one thing so sorry to go back one topic that's fine
1: but as but far yeah, as this, yeah, the, uh, you know she was definitely i would say underused underdeveloped and, and and treated absolutely poorly
0: so the police state stuff is really interesting and it was... is it talk about it i'm gonna go pee <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so the official documentation and everything that people have to, to carry around they have to take the psych test that's all major things also i think um the government and on page seventeen, it says the government is planning a program of sterilization of old men, males. Um, that's kind of an interesting thing. Um, I love on page thirty that um, when says that when the great ear goes into operation, it will be capable of telepathically monitoring thought waves of tens of thousands of persons with ability not found among unusuals. An unscramble. These enormous flood tides of so like the great ear, which is like Big Brother on steroids, yeah. but um and this is again something we'll talk about in dick like suggestions, is happening in China right now. Like um the 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 the, the things that <laughs> well, what do you mean that's happening in China? <laughs> well, that's in my dick like suggestion. I just I read a book about the surveillance state in China and, um, and a well, not, okay, so it's not psychic. Okay, no, it's so not it's psychic, p- but
1: <laughs> no, I would no, way no. really behind on technology if China had a psychic uh,
0: <laughs> device. No, but, um, the level to which they manipulate social media is as effective as the great year oh yeah that he's talking got it, about here yeah that, that's like my, that's my point. and all that shit yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean and in the weird way is is that the way that the modern right, world the way the world turned out is that um people aren't being you know they're not like big brother is not looking at them through the window they're logging on to big brother right and to the great ear it's like you're putting your login and password into um, establishing your connection with the great year. Right. And well, that's, that's why
1: I say, you know, anyone who complains about uh, they're, they're worried about their stuff being uh, losing their privacy and they're going online anywhere or have a, a a phone or anything like that. They're, they're, they're kidding themselves if they think they're somehow have any privacy whatsoever. Privacy is dead. Yeah. Know that privacy is dead and deal with it.
0: Yeah. So um, we kind of already talked about the police state, the PSS, but one of the police state things that I thought was particularly funny happens on page um, 112, where where, uh, Nick Appleton asks for an attorney, and they say... (laughs) You can't have one because of the enabling legislation passed last year, forbidding legal representation of anyone already arrested.
1: That's like a catch 22 right there.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's um, that's 10 years in relocation camp. uh, Being in the presence of other coordinates, five years found in a building where legal material is being written. So, um, so you, you have to have, everyone has to have a lawyer ahead of time if they want legal representation which well in a society that has precognition
1: I mean you would think that would be possible
0: (laughs) yeah and then
1: all you have to do is be you know in amongst the the elite in order to uh, be safe from that
0: um, and then the last thing um, Cleo at one point talks about the 30 years war being the most important event in history She knows that because she studied it. She majored in an era of Western culture and she knew what she was talking about. Right. (laughs) Um, So the next thing I want to talk about um, is Thor and. and, Thor's.
1: uh, Thor's.
0: Thor's and Morgo, the buddy cop part of the story. (laughs) Like the. I don't know, but it seems like Thor's and Morgo should have a love theme um, whenever the, <laughs> the movie comes out. Because man, they they are they are best buds. Um, so. Yeah, he
1: wraps him up when he sleeps. I, I I really like that being the first scene, him waking. Yeah, up, that's a really good you know, scene of their of of that part of the book. But Thor's waking up and and Morgo like wrap having him wrapped up. Just in case, because he doesn't understand sleep.
0: Right, that's a great
1: alien, alien thing to uh, to have in there.
0: That's when he brings up uh, Jung and uh, the he explains the collective unconscious. Right, all that. Oh, oh,
2: educate me! I'm just a dumb man (laughs) who doesn't know anything about Jungian theory. He says
0: that's the greatest of human thinkers. Carl Jung discovered. I didn't
2: learn anything. I didn't learn anything from this. I I, I have done I've done my my
1: share of uh, reading of Jung, and uh, it's not relevant anymore. Is it's not relevant in psychology psychiatry. It's it's not relevant. The only the only thing that keeps Jung in the conversation is that writers use the archetypes, uh, in in certain ways in their novels and stuff like that, and in movies. And, uh, and people take that stupid Briggs test that says if they're, uh, you know, NG or whatever it is, some bullshit. So
2: (laughs) that's all young is nowadays. Just useless. You're a corporate questionnaire designed to see where you fit in into society. That's it. I hate that shit. That, those those things bug me. Those Myers-Briggs tests. Yeah, the Myers-Briggs You can take it to the bank. (laughs) <laughs> All right, on that note,
0: let's move on. So, uh, Thor's Provini Pro, Pro, Provoni Provoni, Thor's um, Provoni with his ship, the gray dinosaur, which is a f- hilarious name for, for a spaceship, right? Was like the Valiant or something like that, you know, the Defiant. What was
2: the one from uh, what was that other one? It was a whale.
0: Oh, um. The un-teleported man, I think you're thinking of. Yeah. Um, uh, but I like, here he says, um, he thinks of himself, he says, I, the traitor, the caller upon the unhuman for support, opening the earth to invasion by creatures which otherwise would never have noticed it. Will I go down in history as one of the most evil of men? Or savior? Or perhaps something less extreme, down the middle subject of a quarter page entry in Britannica <laughs> uh, so,
1: you know he, I, I know I said when I did the breakdown that uh, that Morgo was only there to protect his interests and, and that's just sort of my opinion I think I don't even know if that's actually what it is because Morgo himself says it, he wouldn't help unless he was asked for help because that's how the Eight people yeah. are they only help when they're asked for help. And as far as, you know, and he also says, we've always known about you for hundreds of, or thousands of years. We've known yeah. about people and, and what you do. You're just, you haven't been a threat. So we don't care. Yeah. And, and that's he's... what sort of led me to the conclusion that the main reason he was there was to protect his own
0: interest. Yeah. Um, to a couple pages later he says, um, that uh, he says something about they'll take over Earth and then spit me out to die right <laughs> yeah, and, which was a great part and then, and then uh, I, I still don't quite understand why they can't lie. Yeah, I don't know that either, but I like um here he's um, uh, Morgo says, if you don't believe me, you don't believe him, an entity over six million years old the Phloxian sounded exasperated. <laughs> yeah. Phloxian. Um, <laughs> yeah. Phloxian. And um, yeah, there's, there's, I, I really do think the relationship between those two characters is kind of hilarious. And I like that. It's so weird because, um, you know, just the nature
1: of who they are.
0: Yeah. The nature of who they are and like, you know, how surreal of a thing it is and, And it's kind of fun to explain, like, I I remember I was reading this on the bus, Carrie and I were riding the bus to North Park, and I was reading this, and so I was like trying to explain what the plot was, and I'm like, well, there's this guy, and he's in this (laughs) giant gelatinous (laughs) alien, and it's like, it sounds pretty hilarious, but um, So, um, one thing that we haven't
1: talked about at all yet is that, you know, uh, uh, Thor's is a an unusual and a new man. Yeah. So even if he's saving all the all the regular people, all the old men, uh he's still gonna rule as a new man and an unusual. Well sort of, yeah. Oh, sort I... of. He is still a new man, and an well, new...
0: yeah, yeah, but he's not going to rule over. Like, I don't think he's going to become the ruler, right? He's gonna,
1: yeah, he's taking power from. Uh, what's his face? Yeah, that's the the whole reason that what's his face is going over there, going to Times Square is to hand power over. Graham is handing power over to Thor's. So that's um, the. It's sort of a weird conclusion, you know. That he's now getting rid of all the unusuals and the new men, but then still ruling as a new man and unusual.
0: So, um, at one point, um, to talk about their motivation, on page 125 of the Mariner Edition, the father's uh, Thor's Proveni thought, yes, that's what they are, our friends from Frolics 8, which is mentioning the title. Um, as if I managed to contact the Uroverter, the primordial, I don't know how that's pronounced Urever. The primordial father who built the Edos cosmos. They are upset and anxious because something is going wrong in our world. They care. They have empathy. They know how desperate our need is and how we feel. They know what we need. So, I mean, he's just saying that they're, yeah. they're kind of like primordial fathers and that, that they care about pretty yeah, I see I uh,
1: I know I I definitely inferred quite a bit from from the what's in the book but right I stand I stand by what, what I think is the the main motivation
0: mm-hmm. well and then on 137 I don't know
1: about that altruism thing especially if they are they have a wave of Froloxians coming behind them to destroy earth
0: if he fails so right and then on page 137 and 38 says, I received something coming from your planet, Morgo said. I get to pick up and hold little forms, cats, a dog, a leaf, a snail, a chipmunk. Uh, Do you know, do you understand that on Frolics 8, all life forms except for ourselves were sterilized, hence long ago disappeared. Although I've seen records of them, three-dimensional recreations that seem absolutely real. Kind of similar to Do Androids Dream, I guess, right there. And then Morgo says, that bothers you, that we could do that ourselves. We are growing, dividing, growing. We need to urbanize every inch of our planet. The animals would starve. We prefer using sterilized gas, utterly painless. They could not have lived in our world with us. So, yeah, that doesn't sound super empathetic.
1: <laughs> you
0: know. And, um, yeah, but anyways. It does sound very practical. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, it does um and then it but it also gives a scope of their ability like what yeah. they can do so um but yeah and then um on page uh well the thing about thor one of his best moments Thor's, and maybe we should say this to the end Thor's, is when he when he speaks to the people from Times square is great um, right i really didn't like that part um and uh but no, let's go to that one. One um, so on one ninety three and ninety four of the Mariner edition, um, and I love this. His name, Provoni said into his microphone, is Mor- uh, Morgo Ron Weil. I want to talk to you about him in detail. First, this he is ancient. He is telepathic. He is my friend. <laughs> I like that. I thought that was kind of sweet. He is yeah. my
2: friend. Was yeah. Know.
0: And then um, <laughs> on the TV he says, "I never saw his world. He met me in deep space. He was on patrol and picked up automatic radio signals. My ship was emanating there in deep space. He rebuilt my ship, consulting telepathically with his brothers in Frolics Eight, and was given permission to accompany me back here. He is one of many." I think he can do what we must do. If he can't, there are hundreds more like him waiting one light year away in his ships in ships capable of passing through hyperspace. So if necessary, they could be here in a very short period of time. And then Ed Woodman's like, he's bluffing.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Ain't nobody go through hyperspace in fifteen <laughs> minutes. Um But uh yeah, I really did like the and he's my friend. Oh shucks! Yeah. Um, yeah, it was that moment. Yeah, and and so for me, like the setup of how things were on Earth, just it didn't work for me as well as all the Thors, provini and the frolic stuff. I really liked, and and, and in fact, I, I don't know why it didn't work for you though. I don't know why it didn't work for me either. It just didn't. I just didn't connect to it. Um, yeah, I, I felt that was the best part for me.
1: The best part was the setup of uh, you know having to take that test and the the power struggle between the different races of people. You know, all that stuff was was really interesting for me. But see, I feel like
0: that's a book, and then this other stuff is a book,
1: and the whole the whole before we know Thor's is alive. You know, and the the cordon stuff. All that stuff was really interesting. Like, is this guy alive? Which we obviously know because we read the back jacket. Mm. <laughs> it's, well, and, uh, it's
2: all really interesting, but it doesn't all work together. Doesn't all it, coalesce? It, for, that, for me, it doesn't coalesce as well as it should. Right? Like, throughout the novel or just in the opening? You know, Throughout or, the novel. Like, I feel like we drop a lot of the stuff that it sets up in favor of more... Uh, sci-fi action, space—not space, not space yeah. but sci-fi action, and and you know everybody tried to get with this. I guess what you would call it now would be a manic pixie dream girl. Is essentially what that character, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: is supposed to be that type of an archetype. Um, and I what I what I really like are the stranger elements of the book that I wish w- weren't so sidelined by the kind of boring stuff going on with nick appleton and charlie
1: hmm.
2: see, see but, this book you know because it's it's pot hold on david it's posited in the novel that god died in 2019 and has yeah. been decay, <laughs> it, decaying in orbit right why is that not more of a focus in this book? yeah right why is it just a i'd read book? an entire yeah i'd read <laughs> oh by the I'd way read so much game. more about that yeah that's 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 great but it even that doesn't Really work into anything Dick is doing. Exactly. It's very much a it's very much a, a like scattershot patchwork novel in the way that a lot of the earlier stuff was. Like World Jones made is three different storylines that he's trying to weave together. It's yeah. very to me. It's very reminiscent of that that type of an approach. David's pointing at me. and He's given. We me also the have
0: the cop. sexless. On, on that sexless note, super cop. Like, yeah, um, the
2: sexless super cop. Yeah, yes, David.
0: On the note, read the last Kim Stanley Robinson quote.
2: You know, is Kim Stanley Robinson the fourth member of this podcast or something? Damn!
0: (laughs) He wrote his masters on Philip K. Dick. Come on.
2: These... These baldy thematic passages give the novel a tone dissimilar to that found in the earlier political novels. Almost all of the novels to this point are hopeful in some way. Either the dystopian state can be overthrown or held at bay or resisted in some private way. But here the hopefulness is newly strained and strident and religious in nature. For the first time since the 1950s, a world police state is overthrown, but the revolution is accomplished by an alien with godlike powers. Landing in a spaceship, a deus ex machina, Another metaphor made literal. It looks as though Dick is saying the world can only be saved by the appearance of God, but he doesn't go that far. This God is only another sentience, more powerful than man, but not entirely trustworthy.
0: So, so what that raises is, is the idea that he's trying to say by God being dead is that here's a God-like being who can save you, but God can't save you because God's dead. So, is it important- Except he also,
1: he also says that that might not well, be God might just be another super powerful <clears throat> alien just right, like totally. the, the But what, Knight, what or frolic
0: I mean, maybe God.
2: I find it I I find it interesting that we are so beaten down by the Newman and the unusuals but we're still inviting a, a, an advanced alien race like species <laughs> race to save us from essentially these evolved other types of people. It just seems like you're trading in one thing to, to for another, so well, see, you're going to totally I, hate, I hate think, me. Hold Corden,
1: on. You, Corden was leading the human resistance, so there's there's that element, and Provoni is off on some wild fucking goose chase. You know, no one believes that he's actually going to succeed, and and no, but we,
0: we, we, we killed Corden does.
2: early on in the novel, which is unfortunate, I think, yeah. but necessary yeah. I mean, for the plot. Yeah,
0: but then then Provoni's like, "Hey, guys, guess what I found.":
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He comes meanwhile, his friend's been cutting two or blasted with a laser blaster, yeah, right. and he shows up. Hey guys, wait, I found something. <laughs> I
0: found a big giant gelatinous alien, and he's got friends.
1: Well, you're right, uh, trying to get out from under the foot of some advanced being, we invite another advanced being to do it. There's a lot of contradictions in here.
0: Yeah,
2: and, and I don't, I don't necessarily. Think I don't know they're if they're wrong. necessarily
0: bad,
1: or if, right. Well, or that's that's or my point. They might be intentional. Like all that contradiction yeah. is in there.
2: I I don't think they're bad, and I don't. I can't say whether or not Dick may intentionally did that. But What I can yeah. say is that I would rather have had a more of a focus on that than we kind of get.
1: Right. Right. You know, we that, get all that, that finding all another that, s- all that Nick emo stuff and.
2: Yeah, all all the Nick, sad sack, way I hate my wife, crap. I don't need it. It's yeah. it's surface level, action adventure, I don't know what, what to say nonsense that I don't want to but read. But of course it, it's point. Dick. It's what Dick does. And every novel has that
1: has that character. He Totally. He,
2: and which I, I think very becomes very interesting the, well, the
1: fundamentally flawed, incapable of solving their own problems
2: character. But he, they're all the same person to me. Yeah, they never feel like they're experiencing their own unique brand of that. They just yeah, feel very, like very,
1: very seldom is the character yeah. ever getting yeah. out from under that, that sad sackery.
2: Sad sackery. The sad, sad, sad sa- Dick. Sad sack protagonist gallery. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it, I yeah. I can
2: only. Think it's of all the same dude wearing a crumpled suit, man. Him.
0: So before, before we get into the final judgments, the last like thing I want to talk about, and maybe you guys have notes on this, is some of the funny parts, because I kind of like that last time we just highlighted the parts that made us laugh. Right. So I kind of want to do that here, too. And then um, the first one that I have is on page 85, um, when Graham says, um I um I was a spy. I know almost everyone there. They were one they were my one-time friends. They never found out about me because I don't look like I do now. I had an artificial head. <laughs> um, which is great. Um and jump in at any point if you guys have well, they have, well I live all the alcohol uh things, like
1: the dangers of alcohol. It's so much like the uh it it, it kind of reads like the uh the, the uh, marijuana stuff in the fifties you know the that pot kills and and all that reefer danger and all that stuff like <laughs>
2: it might be you have a, if you have use? a sip
1: of beer, you might end up killing your your best friend or something like it's just so ridiculous uh, so and, and s- yet yet you're allowed to do as many pharmaceuticals as you can stuff in your face
0: so for the Especially specific- map. How many times does he bring up math in that? A lot, <laughs> a lot, right? Yeah. So on page one hundred three, I was thinking about um, it, imagining if Anthony's uh, boss at the office was a telepath, because uh, it says <laughs> a telepath had to have thick skin. In essence, he had to learn to relate to a person's conscious, uh, positive thoughts, not vaguely defined mixture of unconscious processes at at that region, almost everything could be found, in almost everyone, every clerk typist who passed through his office, who had fleeting thoughts of destroying his superior and taking his place, some aimed much higher than that. So I, I thought it was really funny when he was talking about how like we really got to have thick skin to be a telepath because
1: you're. Gonna- yeah, it's it's true though if you think about it. Like if you knew, you know your thoughts, and you know how weird your own thoughts can be, no matter what the situation is. Like random. Mm-hmm. Split second thoughts that you have, like if someone could read all those thoughts they 'd think you 're an insane person right it 's your actions, what you do with the thoughts that you have that that actually matter, and as a psychic you know as a telepath like that, you would definitely have to have some kind of filter, otherwise you would lose it
0: quick um, page one hundred eight shut up and keep walking, the cop said, his large head, his new man expended cranium bobbing venomously He looked angry and aggressive, looking for an opportunity to use his metal stick on someone. I, I,
1: <laughs> well, what about uh, Ild and his cage holding his giant head in place and, yeah. uh, and no eyelids and just espousing yeah. all this ridiculous nonsense. Like I'm using the super logic and it says that there's a 0% chance that there's an alien there. There are, There you have it. No alien. It's all solved. Yeah, Um, but there is an alien.
0: (laughs) So much for your logic. And this is a subtle one, but on page 110, almost 1 million police employees are maintained at the peep-peep screens. (laughs) A huge bureaucracy. I love peep-peep screens. Right. Um, And then probably the funniest thing to me in the entire book is on 128... So Thor's is getting angry at Morgo, and um, he, but then he apologizes and he says, No sweat, the Froloxian answered. (laughs) And threw his head back and laughed. No sweat from a 90 ton gelatinous mass of protoplasmic slime that has engulfed his, engulfed the ship and his fluid body on every side of me like a barrel. And it says, No sweat. (laughs) (laughs) It was absolutely one of my favorite parts of the book. So, so I want to know
1: how insane Ild is. Do you think the Great Ear is even a real project, or he's just making it up?
0: No, I think There's it's no real. No
1: real evidence that he's accomplished anything because he's supposed to be so smart. No one can know if he's smart or insane. That's how smart he is. I love that. He 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 could be insane, but no one's smart enough to know
0: if he's insane or not. Right. Um, I think the great year exists. I think think it's a huge part of their plan and how they're going to maintain all that. But all right. No, unless they're as smart as ill, no one is. So. All right. So to try and get into the timeline that we wanted to get into with this episode, um, I'm going to uh, move us along to final judgments. Unless, is there anything else you guys want to say? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So, um, I am definitely going to give this book three, well, I'd say three point five gray dinosaurs out of five. Um, I the the, th- the three that I liked, the parts that I liked I really liked. and there's a lot that could be fixed if you were to do an adaptation or whatever. And I appreciated the things that I didn't like. I still think there's good aspects there, but it just – the first act didn't work for me super well is one thing. And then all the personal life stuff, there's at least – a good portion of why I didn't rate this higher has to do with, like, the come on, dude. We get it. You're, you're pissed <laughs> right now. You're getting divorced, but – <laughs> um, I just think it was a little heavy handed in this one. And it, I do think it bled into the book in a kind of negative way. Right. Um, and 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 I don't give a fuck if you call me PC, um, which is not a very PC attitude to take. Not <laughs> give a fuck, but don't give a fuck. I'm sorry that the stuff with the 16 year old and all the obsession over it was 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 cringy and it was awful. And that did not help. anthony
2: so i'm gonna give this book uh two two uh let me think two irritating co-hosts that keep fucking talking over me out of five (laughs) so um yeah uh so yeah just two out of five for me just because i look I, I think on paper i really like this idea but the execution seems really cobbled together um without a whole lot of thought put into it there's a i don't know if you guys notice this but there's a lot of repetitious over explaining throughout the novel where i'm, I'm in certain chapters i'm like we already went over this we already went over this like i know what what Thoris Provoni was doing. I didn't need the television characters, a la Frank Miller and fucking, you know, D- The Dark Knight Returns, you know. re-explaining the Thoris Provoni stuff to me over again. I get it. I know what's going on. I know beer. I know alcohol is illegal. We spend this whole time with Nick being afraid of splitting a single beer with two other people right. about <laughs> him getting drunk. I know he's afraid of it. I get it. Move on. Okay. There's so much... The book isn't that long, but it's a real, real fat novel. There's a lot of fat that can be cut from this book to make it at least leaner and a little bit more streamlined. So you think that's yes, because David, of that you uh, have an opinion. 000, Trying to reach oh, no, that? No,
0: I'm just... I, I'm imagining Terry Carr coming down to Don Wolheim's office and saying, you know what? I think this Frolics 8 needs another draft. And Wolheim being like, no <laughs> way. He's going to <laughs> My writer's going to break down... His, his, yeah. his cat's going to get the Hong Kong flu. He's just, like, the dog's going to eat.
2: God, dude, <laughs> stop saying that. <laughs>
0: that was a real flu. Um, no,
2: yeah. uh, it's
1: it just doesn't it's, uh, doesn't track well. Track well. It
2: doesn't track yeah. well in twenty twenty one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So back to okay. So back to what I was saying. I, I was kind of thinking that Bobby was going to be more of a focus throughout the novel. Like he's like, oh, I don't want to do it. I already know I'm going to fail. Blah blah blah. So I thought that that was going to come back around, and Bobby was actually going to emerge as kind of something a little bit different than what his mom and dad are, and, and maybe a different type of being, which I thought would have been a little bit more interesting. But I'd rather get. Put in the story of this kid who's grown up around all this BS that he has to do to get placed within the cis society he lives in, rather than his sad sack dad being like, "I gotta leave your you and your mom because there's this little uh, sixteen year old that I'm trying to really get with." Oh, honey which, to, to, uh, to echo, to echo, and you know, to echo what David was saying, like you can call me a woke baby all you want about the when I bring this stuff up on the podcast just like I got hammered for it when I brought it up in the cosmic puppets you can bring it up all you want I'm I'm still gonna talk about it um so you can again yeah you can call me a woke baby all you want but it's 2021 and I'm only what I'm I'm 35 Well, I'm 34 still you guys a little bit older but for me I'm reading it with my 35-year-old now brain so i am gonna notice this stuff it's not why not talk about it because it's gross because there's two grown ass there's two grown ass men in this book both trying to have sex with a 16 year old one ruined one throws his entire life away and the other one hires his goon squad to have the other guy murdered because this girl leaves and doesn't want to sleep with his gross baron harkonnen ass which is (laughs) you know what if you're in in creating a villain, that would work. It would work if Nick Appleton's whole thing was, I just can't let this sixteen year old go out there knowing that this this old like slob monster is trying to, you know, get it. <laughs> but he's not. He's just also trying to get it. Yeah, yeah. That's that. that... Bad. It's like Bad. when I saw Battle Angel Alita, and I was like, everybody's just trying to sleep with this underage android. That's <laughs> right. Um. And, yeah, I, I and I think that... And same with is, Labyrinth is
1: as well. Just,
2: man, just keep interrupting me. Bowie,
1: oh, <laughs> fuck you. Bowie trying to sleep with <laughs> a 16-year-old girl. That was also pretty gross.
2: Yeah, All see, right. and and so it, it really took me out of trying to focus on the really cool stuff that's in the book, like Thor's Provoni and the alien and their relationship. and And I would have thought that we don't even really need Graham to be a focus villain. We could have... Why not just jack up the, the mad science and overly pulpy aspects of this book and make Ill the main bad guy? That that would have been great. I wanted more of that character. But, alas, maybe in the adaptation they'll make a really cool purple sky cow or whatever the fuck it was and right. they get some sick right. chase sequences and that. <laughs> so, yeah. two Two out of five for me. Larry? Well, I'm going to give it a two and a half,
1: uh, I, I, I don't know, ersatz uh, something or others. <laughs> uh, because, uh, well, yeah, 2.5, yeah, works. I mean, a lot of this novel is right down the, the middle of the road with the PKD-isms and all that stuff. Like, uh, A lot of it is expected, and we've seen it all, all before in different forms. Uh, there is a real, a real sexist bent to this one that's not in the other books. I mean, yeah, there's there's been cringy moments in the other books, but this one, it seems very consistent throughout that uh, Dick was having a real problem with women at this point. Like every mention of a woman is somehow they're disgusting or they're they're evil or they're, there's something wrong with them, you know. They're, it's just a uh, it's horrible it's yeah. horrible and uh
2: it's but, rough in this one like it's in your face constantly it's really
1: in your face yeah
2: and as and, david said dude get over it we know just <laughs> get get over it get over I, it. even
1: when even when i was reading the book i was like are there any female new men uh, cuz i i don't remember ever seeing a female new, new man. or new or or an even an unusual i mean it's all all men all the time and the women are there just to get in the way of the men doing their thing it's a it's a it's a thing here it's,
0: it's like thing. he was sitting at that goddamn 1941 royal thinking <laughs> oh i can't write any positive women they're just gonna take it all out on you 1941 right? I mean,
2: <laughs> I mean, Appleton straight up hardcore backhands his wife his for wife. changing the yeah. channel. That is a gross overreaction if I have ever seen one. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, they, yeah, uh, there's a lot of ugly stuff there. Um, so, and, and it, yeah, it this does is sort kind of outweigh ugly the book. good stuff. Yeah. I mean, there is good stuff yeah. too. There's, there's some... definitely some good
1: stuff. I really like the whole idea of new men and unusuals and the the different ranks and, and forms of humanity. And, you know, I like the alien coming in to save the human race. And I even like some of the, some of the stuff with the, with Nick and avoiding the cops and all that stuff. But
2: we yeah, need it's, hard, it's hard to
1: overcome all that, all that, you know, misogynistic bullshit that's in there. Right. Yeah.
2: It's, it, it's, uh it's, it's definitely not one that I, that, you know, I would ever revisit. Yeah. Never or I would recommend never to anyone. Of this. I or not, I recommend. I would not recommend this book to But wait to sad. stick around until you want to hear about my TV adaptation, then maybe. <laughs> yeah,
0: I was going to say, but if Electric Sheep Productions said, hey, Anthony, adapt this for film, and who do you have in mind to direct it? What are you doing, Anthony?
2: Oh, I, I was actually thinking I'd make it into a TV show. Uh, there's so much going on in this book that you could almost do the first half of the season with just focusing on, like, the underground resistance and all of Thor's Provoni's uh, propaganda that his friend in prison creates and, and all this. And then we could actually get to know, like, Nick and his wife and his... um his son i would probably make bobby way more of a focus i would put graham in the background as the villain and bring ild into it is kind of like this insane supposedly the smartest man in the world who later on when when the show's over you realize is not that like his whole (laughs) idea is fucked so uh, i i would like to see it as a tv show uh any filmmakers connected or i mean i'll always tell you that alex garland can do everything so it's yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> well, he doesn't fit the tone for what I would want to do. What I would like to do, <laughs> I, I would like to do a film. Could
2: you say it any more snottily I know. Do we need but to give you an
0: I sure yes, would like go. to do this. Yeah. Um, no. If I were going to do it, I'd do it as a film, and I would. Um, the way I would do it is, I would kind of cut up the the A and B storylines with different tones um i would do the police state stuff and the 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 way earth is set up is just a little darker and then just once we got to thor's and morgo i would make that ridiculous as it is and kind of blend it together to end up being funny um at the end and i have the tone kind of drastically change as it moves along because I think it would be funny if you were setting up this idea that that Thor's is this big savior out there that's gonna come to get us and and his answer is that he's inside a slime mold giant gelatinous alien is hilarious. You know? And if you've got all your hopes pinned down on this guy coming back and he's like, this is my friend. He's a big giant ball of slime. And he's <laughs> going to save us. And, yeah right, <laughs> and so I could even picture like the trailer starting off like in a world, you know, and and like having like you know, you know, people dying, horrible police state things Sarah McLachlan singing about dogs, <laughs> like really intense And then the second half of the trailer, like like a record scratch, and then there's like Thor's is coming back with his sli- with his friend, a slime mold, you-, you know. You could uh, really that's do a do lot it. of
2: cool stuff with the propaganda, too, for, like, the marketing yeah. campaign for the yeah. show. show um, you could do tons of cool stuff. And I would, yeah. honestly, I wouldn't kill Eric Corden right away, either. I would. Yeah. You
0: know. But because the reason why I would want to do it that way is because of the thing that we talk about all the time, which is that PKD movies are paranoid action films. And it's we're well past the time where we need a PKD comedy. We need a PKD, like a funny PKD movie that is straight up as funny as his books, and you could do it with this one, in my opinion. <laughs> you right. could do it with us. I would, uh, yeah, I, I would
1: us. make this an art film, uh, documentary style. Uh, there would be no Appletons, there would be no Charlie, there would be none of that bullshit in there. It would be all about like the uh, the the main boss guy and Ild uh, so Graham and Ild and Provoni and, and Corden like, but documentary style, different, different uh, film styles for each person. Like we, we do the, the onboard cameras for the spaceship, like the prison camera for Corden, you know, that, that kind of thing, like a, a, a real documentary crew for, for, Ild or something like that. Like, here's what the genius does on his free in his free time and stuff. But uh, don't mind the fact that he's insane looking and yeah. has
2: no eyelids. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> that's the part the part ball I ball like.
1: I, I did watch a documentary about uh, Brian Wilson and how he stayed in bed for like three years. And I, I from that sort of gave me this idea of of seeing you know Graham running the entire world from his bedroom. And I thought that was, that would be cool to see in a, in a documentary style.
0: Uh, Larry, do you have a tech like suggestion for this month?
1: Yeah. And it's sort of very specific to this, this novel uh, because it's about, it's about gods and stuff like that. It's a video game called loop hero. And while the gameplay is, is sort of like medieval fantasy type stuff, like so this, the God themes in it are really are really close to like this novel. It's about is God dead or is God alive and what is going on? The universe has collapsed entirely, and this one human character is supposed to be rebuilding it just through fighting through these loops of uh, of uh, whatever it is. A road basically he walks along a road in a loop, and then. Creates parts of the world outside of that, and there's this whole storyline of recurring, of uh, uh, recurring destinies and and all this stuff. And the gameplay is fun, and it's a, like got some card elements, some uh, some battle elements. It's it's a good game, and the, I don't want to reveal too much by talking about the god stuff, but you you fight different gods, different. And there's some surprises in there. So that's
0: what makes it dick-like is the, is there there
1: very much the Gnostic, the Gnostic part of it. Yeah. This fits that really well.
0: Not the other stuff so
1: much, but the the Gnostic part. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, this month, my dick-like suggestion is a nonfiction book. Ooh. which is weird. Um, uh, I don't. I don't know. I, have I done a nonfiction book before? I probably have. But um, but uh, this book that I read last month was called "We Have Been Harmonized" by Kai Str- or Strittmatter. Or is a German um, journalist who covers China for uh, Das Spiegel, I believe, for the German paper. And um, so this book is about the Chinese surveillance state and the modern form of how, um, China maintains social order through surveillance and social manipulation. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought of PKD many times while reading this book, (laughs) um, because there's a lot of things, especially I thought about the man who japed and the, um, the, uh, the way that the con apps have like the community um, standards where you have to follow the community standards. So China started this program according to this book where you get credits for social credits for being nice and for doing good things. And for like, you know, if somebody tips you on your social media that you did something nice for them, then you get a social credit and like, um, without these social credits, like basically, if you're an asshole, you don't get a free. Well, it's, it's a
1: lot like that uh, Black Mirror episode with the yes, with the, the phone and
0: the you know. The it's not there. quite as intense as that, but of course not. But yeah, but it's getting there. And um this we have been harmonized. Um, I contacted his the agency that he works for and made a request to get him on the show, but I haven't heard nothing back yet, but I'm trying. I don't know if he likes PKD. Uh, he never mentions PKD. It was interesting because a lot of these books, you know, you'll see the, it's like it's out of a Philip K. Dick novel. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, um, and so when you're searching for news articles for PKD, you find – 30 of those a week where somebody says it's like it's out of a philip k dick novel and surprisingly he did not do that in this book even though i was thinking that uh, um at many times anthony do you have a dick like suggestion this month
2: nah dog i'm good (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh
2: no i don't i haven't read anything that's dick like i've been reading mostly non-fiction and horror and none of it is dick like i am very meticulous at this point like what i i want to be very sure that what i'm recommending i honestly think is dick like and i'm not just pulling something out of my ass like i do when i talk most of the time <laughs> uh
0: there's a tv show on hbo max called made for love too that people might want to check out um but how
2: do you guys find the time to watch and read all this shit i
0: I've only watched some of it so far, but... Um, well, I don't have a job, so... <laughs> yeah. There he has down. plenty of time. Um, all right, so on that note, I think we're done here. Um, keep it paranoid. What, what about coming up next? Coming up next, Anthony. Anthony. Oh.
1: Sorry,
2: sorry. I uh, forgot we were doing this. Hold on. I forgot we were doing a show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my I, I bring
1: it up. At, I was looking at uh tits on, on
2: Instagram, so Oh no. <laughs> I was responding to a message about All tits right. on Instagram. Alright. Fourteen strangers came to Del Mac O. Thirteen of them were transferred by the usual authorities. One got there by praying. But once they arrived on the, that planet whose very atmosphere seemed to induce paranoia and psychosis, the newcomers found that even prayer was useless. For on Delmeco, God is either absent or intent on destroying his creations. We're reading A Maze of Death, and I'm very excited because this sounds that like sounds, a book totally made real. for me. It does sound yeah. really good. Yeah, um, I, I'm into that.
0: Yeah, and I have a special guest in mind for that one. So um, hopefully we might have somebody else, too. So uh, on that note, uh, keep it paranoid. Yeah. Be be paranoid. Bye. Bye. Bye.